I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy podcast with me, Alison Perry. I'm joined today by Natasha Devon, writer, LBC presenter and activist. Natasha writes and talks a lot about mental health, body image, gender and equality. And her new book, Clicks, How to Be Your Best Self Online, is a brilliant guide for young people in the online world. Natasha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? Really well, thank you. I'm kind of you know they teased us with a little bit of sun over the weekend and now it's gone away again I'm kind of like hmm (laughs) people keep it's funny because we are absolutely obsessed with the weather aren't we us Brits and I've I've come across three people in the last 24 hours who have said to me oh but it's coming this the next week we're gonna have sunshine so we're clinging on to that with um you know all our hope What I love about your book, Natasha, is that it's not just coming to the conversation from a point of view of here's how you control your kids' usage of the internet. It's talking directly to young people. And there's very much a vibe of, look, the internet's here to stay, so we may as well use it wisely. Hmm. Yeah, I was talking to 14 to 18 year olds, I was doing some focus groups in schools and colleges about their social media education. And it reminded me of the sex education that I had at school. So our sex ed back in the 90s was very much okay, the only way to avoid pregnancy and STIs is to abstain. That's the only way to guarantee. And that was pretty much it. (laughs) And we were left thinking, okay, but what if we we do have sex though? How do we do it as safely as possible? How do we safeguard our physical and emotional health, you know, in that process? And I think that for many teenagers, it's that kind of draconian zero tolerance attitude that has been taken to social media, where they they've basically been told you will be radicalized and groomed and you'll send a naked photo to someone and your future employer will see it and you'll never be able to get a job and you'll end up living on the street and then you'll die and that's not really a comprehensive education (laughs) around social media so I I wanted to create something that was more about the the nuts and bolts you know what to do if this happens to you yeah in defense of parents though I think it's important to say (laughs) that um you know, so many of us have come from a point where we've learned very gradually about social media and the internet because it's kind of evolved as we've grown up as adults. 
And all of a sudden, we've had, not all of a sudden we've had kids, but we've had kids. And then all of a sudden we've had to kind of think, oh, hang on a minute. We need to actually teach these young people how to use this thing. And so I guess you can't really blame, and I I know you're not blaming, um, parents for taking that kind of slightly draconian, because I guess it's done from a place of slight panic and fear and just desperately wanting to do the right thing, but feeling a little bit out of our depths. And I totally get that, that if you don't understand the world that your child is inhabiting, logically it is safer to say, just don't do it. Mm. Um, However, the technology is, it's getting its claws into our life more and more and more, our professional lives and our personal lives. And at some point they are going to have to not be in your care anymore and go out into the world and know how to practice self-regulation. And, you know, I'm as guilty of this as anyone. I'm not on TikTok Um, I have tried to talk in really broad brushstrokes in the book about the principles of how social media works and also some of the emotional journeys that you go on as a social media user, which anyone of any age can relate to, because I was super conscious that I want the book to stand the test of time. And in a year, they will have moved on to something else. So there was really no, no point in me talking about specific platforms if you see yeah, what I mean yeah yeah because you, you could be talking talking about TikTok and then a few years time everyone's like TikTok no one uses that you know we're on to exactly yeah. you know ga or whatever it is you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> whatever has been yeah. invented um <laughs> yeah and it's yeah it's one of those things isn't it that you know it strikes me that developing healthy social media habits is something that a lot of us grown-ups need to do um never mind kids and young people and I think probably that's what makes it harder for us because we're there on the sofa scrolling endlessly mindlessly and we know that's not the the best the healthiest way to use the internet so it is that thing where it's like you know do what I say no what not what I do that classic kind of parenting you know mantra it's Mm. not ideal is it it's our generation and and I am a millennial but only just are completely social media addicted mm. and we were almost a guinea pig generation for a lot of this stuff we we do have an advantage over younger people insofar as we remember life before this type of technology so we've got a kind of reference point there however we um were not told about the dangers from the get-go and Therefore, you have this generation of parents who are trying to guide their children through the technological revolution, having, you know, not necessarily worked on their own relationship with technology, because this all moves so fast, you know, and do you know what else I think? I was talking to my friend about this the other day. They they were saying a friend of theirs has just had a baby and they came to visit and they couldn't believe how much attention a baby needs. And I said, you're absolutely right. Babies do need a lot of attention. My brothers are um, almost a decade younger than me. So I was very active in their um, care when I was a kid. Uh, so I remember that very well. However, babies' needs are simple. It's exhausting because they're demanding, but they, they need to be changed, fed or cuddled. And that's about it right it's the parents of teenagers that I really feel for because that is a minefield by comparison that the second guessing they're trying to work out the complex layers of psychology and 
you know, the friendship difficulties and the manipulation and the the danger that they're in and giving them enough freedom and allowing them to make mistakes, but protecting them at the same time. And no one talks about that. Well, it's certainly talked about less, I think. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, actually, because I've got a 12 year old. So and she she really I class her as a teen because hormonally and developmentally, she absolutely is. And I've got four year old twins. And so I feel like I've kind of had that that same kind of pinch points, you know, at a similar time. Um, and I've spent a lot of time trying to work out, you know, what's harder. I mean, in a, in a way, it doesn't really matter because, it, you know, mm. kids are kids. We're all different. But um, it's very much something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about. And I've had a lot of conversations with parents of teens who have said, this is the hardest that I have. This is the hardest stage that I have found. And mm. absolutely, without a doubt, the Internet and social media is a huge part of that. And I think that you know, the conversations I've had with my friends, you know, were, were advised, you know, um, like I remember going to um, a talk at my daughter's primary school and they were saying, you know, you have to be using every app. You have to be, you have to play every game, every online game, everything they're using. You have to know the ins and outs of it. Don't just assume that it's fine. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's like another thing for us to do. Like, yeah, I've got to, I've got to be on Roblox. I've got to be on you know, Snapchat, I've got to, and it's, that's a huge amount of pressure. And a huge amount of time, a huge investment of time yeah. as well. I, I do recommend um, asking your child to show you if they're mm. on something saying, can you show me how this works and explain to me why you like it and, and coming to that conversation with a genuine curiosity, because that's a, a double benefit then that's bonding time with your child and it's um teaching them to trust you but at the same time you're sort of learning the rudiments of of how yeah. that works so you're killing two birds with one stone but yeah i can i can understand why it is really daunting for yeah. parents and I, I as well i think that there is a um a kind of anxiety so I, I experienced this not with uh in a parenting capacity but a couple of weeks ago my producer who is uh, at LBC who is in her 20s um she just didn't turn up for work and no one had been able to get hold of her all day and we saw that the the whatsapps we were sending her were delivering but they weren't being read and her phone was going straight to voicemail and I just went, she's dead. Yeah. She's dead. Right. Because she's a young woman and she left quite late the, the day before. And in my head, there was no other possible reason why she wouldn't have been in contact. Now, it turned out to be that she'd smashed her phone and she was waiting for the phone shop to repair it. And she was about an hour late into work and right. it was fine. But that anxiety, <laughs> because we can get hold of each other. It, you know, it, it increases the anxiety because b before the invention of, of mobile phones and smartphones, if you couldn't get hold of someone, you'd be like, oh, they're probably stuck on the tube or something. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? I'd also say that um, quite a good thing to do if you are feeling anxiety around the time that it would take to delve into every app and every game and really try and work out the pros and cons and the pitfalls. There are some really good websites, aren't there, that can that can help. Um, there's like Internet Matters. Um, there are a few others, aren't there? I think you've worked with a few for your book. Yes. So ChildNet is a, a really good source of information and also Glitch. Um, I'm an ambassador for that charity and they there's two things they do. The, the first thing is they they look at women and girls experiences online and how often 
particularly uh, women of color, their their voices are pushed out of the online space. So they kind of advocate um, for a better social media experience for women and girls. But they also teach digital citizenship. So if you want to know how to kind of curate your online experience so that you don't see certain things or, you know, you're, when you step onto social media, it's serving you and giving you what you need as opposed to just whatever's there. Um, they're a really good charity to check out. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. Um, and something that I did with my 12 year old, she's been nagging me to um, download Snapchat onto her phone. And I've just been hard now Like she's got WhatsApp. Um, but I've been hard no on any kind of traditional social media. Um, but she's very much that that kind of like, please, 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 like trying to wear you down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, so my um, my husband had a great idea. He was like, right, tell you what, you go off and I want you to write a list of all the reasons, like go and research it and all of the reasons why you think that it wouldn't be a good idea for you to use Snapchat and all the reasons why you think it would be a good idea. And to be fair to her, she went off and did it. And we haven't yet, like, you know, assessed it and had a conversation with her. But I was like, actually, let's get you to do the research and Mm. you can find that and then you can present back to us. So it's not just us, like you said, in that draconian way of saying, you cannot do this, you know, because I said so. So we'll we'll, we'll see how that pans out. But that's that's something to consider as well. Definitely. And it's it's something that I actually recommend in, in the book that the book is speaking to teenagers, but I encourage them to try and see things from their parents point of view. Um, and that's actually come from having so many conversations with teenagers where they'll say things to me like, oh, my mom's so annoying. She doesn't let me wear this really cool thing. Um, and I'll say, well, why do you think that your mom's not letting you wear that? And they'll say, well, just to be annoying, just to be annoying. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but maybe your mum has other priorities than just annoying you. So um, what, what other possible reasons could they be? And you kind of bring them to a place where you realise that it's about trying to keep them safe. And, and they, they genuinely go, oh, right, okay. Um, so, so in the book, I've tried to, to help teenagers to understand, like, if your parents are saying, no, you can't go on this, it's either because they know lots about it and they've assessed that you're not ready or that they don't know enough about it and they're worried that you won't be safe. So how are you going to approach the conversation knowing that that's their motivation? Yeah, that's brilliant. I think that, I think it's like, you know, the fact that you do give young people advice on how to talk to their parents, I think it's so valuable because young people don't get, it's like, it's like when you start a new job, you know, you, you, you're you new in the world of work and you start a job, you get no advice on how to communicate with your boss. Like there's so many management courses and how to deal with people who you manage, but not the other way around. And it's the same with parenting. There's so much out there about how to be a good parent, but there isn't anything really about how to be a good, you know, a good um, offspring, a good son or a daughter. <laughs> it's, it's just, so it's so valuable. Yeah, it, it's true. We're, it, it, there's very loose advice around kind of respecting your elders and, and all that. But that's kind of so stuff. dated, isn't it? And, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. That whole, I mean, really, respect respect someone who's older than you. That's bollocks. Like just because someone's older <laughs> than you doesn't yeah. mean that you should treat them any differently. Really, I don't think. Hmm. I mean, Jacob Rees-Mogg is older than me. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> yeah <laughs> unrelated point there but yeah fair enough um um 
We hear so much, though, about like the online world and how it's a dark and murky place. But you make a really good point in the book that the internet isn't actually good or bad. It's a neutral entity and it's how we use it that counts. Yes. And what I was really pleased to see is that last week for Mental Health Awareness Week, Ofcom actually published a report which backs that up, saying that if young people have a a high level of literacy when it comes to their social media, that can actually improve their mental health. Um, So it's it's kind of seeing, seeing social media as neutral and going, it's how you use it as opposed to the facts of it that is the key thing. And what I encourage the young people who read the book to do is to see themselves as like curators of an art gallery and go, okay, this is my space. What am I going to put on the walls? And I talk a little bit in the book about how we learn through repetition. Um, So our unconscious brains are always absorbing because I think when we scroll, we're very often doing something else at the same time, or we're just bored and we're not properly paying attention. So we have this tendency to underestimate the impact that the content that we see is having on us. But our unconscious brains, which are huge in comparison to the the conscious brain, are always switched on and they're always absorbing. Mm -hmm. So even when you think you're not paying attention, they're taking in that information. And um, the unconscious brain learns through repetition. So if you're seeing something again and again and again and again, eventually you're going to take it on as an unconscious belief. And that means that what is in your feed and what's on the walls of your online art gallery really matters. <laughs> your, your environment really matters. So it's encouraging them to kind of take stock and go, what what's on the walls of my art gallery and what needs swapping out? Yeah. And also you made a really good point um, about the fact that when we are putting ourselves online, it's like a curated version of ourselves and mm. therefore the validation that we then get isn't actually true validation, is it? No, it's really odd psychological schism. And I think it, probably the reason is negativity bias. So all human beings have an inbuilt negativity bias because we tend to learn more from our mistakes than our, our successes. And our mistakes put us in danger. So we remember them more um, so that we, we don't put ourselves in that situation again. But um, what happens is we we create this curated version of ourselves and send it into the online world to seek validation. And because we know that that is a very carefully curated version of ourselves and it's not a reflection of who we genuinely are, the praise that we receive never truly hits the spot because we reason with ourselves, well, that person doesn't really know me. However, when we are criticised online, it really gets us in the feels. And we think, oh, they've seen the true me. They know something that other people don't. And so we we have this... Um, sort of unfairness really where we um and you see it with celebrities you see that when they post on social media they can get thousands of positive comments and then they'll get one person who will leave a negative comment and that's the one that they will respond to because that's Mm -hmm. the one that they have noticed and then of course what that person learns is oh when when i mean to people i get attention (laughs) so they create trolls you know in, in doing that yes that's such a good point 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast. And what about the way that, that, that social media that we that we think social media has been designed, you know, to tap into our desire for validation and to give us that dopamine hit? You know, you have an illustration in the book of like a slot machine, a fruit machine, um, yeah. you know, and so when we get the notification, it, you know, sets off, you know, a dopamine release in our brain. Um, you know, that feels pretty manipulative and dark to me. But yet, you know, obviously you're saying the internet and social media isn't a dark place. It's, it's neutral. Yeah. The, the way that the technology is designed is to be addictive because in the financial transaction between apps and the people who pay to advertise products, services, and ideas on those apps, our focus and attention is the thing that is being sold. So the, the more of our attention they can harvest, the more money they can command. And so that's that's why it is designed to be addictive. And the the psychology is like a slot machine. When we pull down our feed and it refreshes, if it was just positive stuff all the time, we wouldn't get that slight feeling of jeopardy. So it has to be a, oh, what's going to come up it, like a slot machine? Is it going to be three lemons or is it going to be two lemons and a cherry kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And that's what keeps us hooked. But having said that, you know, there are lots of things that are addictive. Um, exercise is addictive. Um, alcohol is addictive. It's, and they're not inherently terrible things. It's learning to practice moderation and knowing when you're meandering into dangerous territory. And I think that I heard it described that way once, actually, when we were talking about giving parents really stringent social media guidelines around technology. Someone actually did compare it to alcohol and they said, you know, lots of people enjoy a drink in in the evening but you wouldn't be okay with your five-year-old just cracking open a can of Fosters at the dinner table and go, yeah, that's fine. You know, I find it enjoyable, so you can too. And and it's about kind of, I think, seeing it in a, a similar way. Yeah. Um, so what are the signs then that our kids have developed unhealthy online habits? Um, so it's actually quite counterintuitive when uh, you're being targeted in some way on, online, whether that's through cyber bullies or you're being radicalized, you tend to spend more time online, not less. And the the logical thing to do is to go, okay, I'm going to take a step back from this, but we don't do that. So a, a sudden real intense interest in, in something is one of the, the signs to look out for. Um, as is the, the breakdown of communication. So if they stop talking to you about things, it's because they think that they have found someone or something online that's giving them the answers that that they seek. 
Um, and with any kind of mental health, it's if you look at the the mental health vulnerability criteria, it's stuff like um, spends a lot of time in their room, um, strong political opinions, changes in fashion, and um, it's just it's just being a teenager. You read it and you, you're like, what what is this? Is this this person has a mental illness or are they just a teenager? Um, yeah. So I would say it's less useful to to think about that in a contextless way and more useful to think you know your child better than anyone and you know what their character is so it's a sudden change in character if they are naturally quite introverted if they suddenly become angry over a sustained period of time not just a hormonal blip um if they're usually quite confident but they suddenly become very introverted that those are the signs that you're looking out for um and you know, there's there's quite a lot of talk um, on, in the online world about, you know, living in an echo chamber. And I find it really interesting reading about how technology and social media is actually designed to create that. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's really interesting. So they, what the algorithm is concerned with is keeping you online as long as possible. So what it will do is it will give you something that is slightly more shocking and entertaining than the last thing that you have seen in terms of if you're looking at reels or if you're on YouTube or TikTok, um, it will push you towards the most extreme content. So you can see that in all kinds of ways. If you are curious about vegetarianism, it will start to push you towards content about veganism. If you want to know about jogging, it will push you towards content about super marathons. Um, Another thing is, I talk a little bit in the book about pornography, had to be so careful with that, because, um, you know, obviously, you can't write a book for teenagers about the internet without putting some stuff about pornography in there. Um, But equally, I didn't want to introduce anything that they hadn't already encountered so I looked really closely at the evidence and you know what a 13 year old would have seen but with pornography what they do is that the videos are embedded with keywords so they the algorithm learns about your preferences but then pushes you towards more and more extreme content which in turn um starts to to shape the the sexual preferences. So uh, there's all kinds of examples of how this works. But the one that I think concerns me most is the pushing towards um, really extreme points of view. And so you get these um, influencers like Andrew Tate, who part of the reason that they enjoy such popularity is because the algorithm is actually feeding them with people who, who might just be curious about what is feminism or how do we achieve gender equality? And it, it will end up on Andrew Tate because he's the one saying the most outrageous things, but outrage is an entertaining thing to feel as well. Yeah. Um, and I, I get it. I do get it. Like I, I have been watching the, the national conservative conference that happened recently. And it, it is like watching a car crash where, and it is really entertaining to watch someone passionately spout hatred it's scary but there's a reason that we're you know attracted but then you have to bear in mind that with these influences that they it's not just hatred they kind of sprinkle it with some common sense as well mm-hmm. to kind of draw in vulnerable people and there's a there's a formula that really works so i mean i think that social media companies have a 
a responsibility to not do that, to be yeah. honest. Um, and that's something that will ultimately come out of all, all the discussions around the online harm bill. But in the meantime, what I've been asking young people to do is to go back and search fresh each time for each piece of content and not just click on whatever the algorithm is suggesting. That's a really good bit of advice. Also, I think it's something that we can all do in terms of even just searching for points of view that are outside of our echo chamber. So like, for example, I'm very pro-trans rights and I've done several deep dives into the views of gender critical people just to try and understand if I'm, you know, if I'm honest, like just trying to think, hang on a minute, you know, am I missing something here? How can all these people think something completely polar opposite to what I believe? Um, but social media, you know, have been designed to, you know, push you in one direction, one direction, one direction. It's really mm. important, isn't it, that we like seek out alternative views? Well, there, it, yes, because what will happen in your slipstream is you will see two things. You will see the views that support yours, but you'll see the most stupid takes from the views that don't support yours. So any kind of opposing view you see will be so ridiculous that you'll go, well, clearly, you know, anybody who doesn't support trans rights is a total idiot, right? But actually, you know, and I'm too a very vocal trans ally, and I've done a lot of research into this, but there's kind of two flavours of, of um, transphobia. There's the, the straightforward kind of alt-right hideousness. Um, but then there's this kind of um, lefty feminist women tend to be slightly older who fought really hard for single sex spaces and are genuinely worried that those are now in, in jeopardy. I don't agree with them, but I do see where they're coming from. And I don't Absolutely. think they're bad. They're bad people. And and that's what I mean when when I say, you know, step outside of your slipstream occasionally and think of it like a maths problem. I don't agree with your solution, but I can see your workings. Yeah. And also in the book, you talk a bit about not just jumping on, you know, not, not just offering up a hot take. So you gave an example of you tweeting something about Pretty Patel um, yeah. <laughs> and then and then realizing, mm, actually, maybe that wasn't the best hot take to have. Yeah, so I, <laughs> oh, it's such a bad story. So the, the Byline Times, who are um, a, a left-leaning newspaper, and genuinely, they they report things that no one else will dare touch. And they've done this investigation, and they had found that during COVID, the Home Office, there were all of these expenses that came up, um, at, that had been to a beauty company. Now it, it transpired that this beauty company apparently made PPE. Um, and that's why they were giving, you know, tens of thousands of pounds to it. But there were also some other things on there that didn't quite add up and that were a bit dodgy. But what happened was that the Byline Times broke it and then other newspapers picked it up. And there was one company in particular that uh, was an eyebrow company or their, their their title was something to do with eyebrows. And it, the joke became Pretty Patel has spent £70,000 on her eyebrows, right? That's what it became on social media. And I joined in with this because it was funny. And I and I tweeted a picture of um, someone with kind of bejeweled eyebrows. <laughs> and so I'm wondering what this amount of, of money on eyebrows looks like. But um, I got a, a private message from a, a right-wing newspaper saying, do you accept that it was the wrong thing to do to spread this fake news? And didn't reply to that but i i did regret sharing it not because of the joke 
which I still maintain maintain was, you know, moderately funny. But because (laughs) what it allowed the right wing newspapers to do was to discredit the Byline Times original investigation in its entirety, just because of the eyebrow thing. So the other parts of that story never got discussed. They they kind of shut it down. Yeah. And you mentioned fake news and you talk in the book about the importance of teaching our kids about reputable sources. Um, But even like newspapers and broadcasters display bias, as we know. Um, So what's a good way of encouraging young people to check facts from fake news? Yeah. So um, (laughs) I've had a lot of conversations with young people about this where I say, yes, there is bias in quote unquote, mainstream media. However, we do have rules that we have to follow. So, you know, I I know this from the extensive training that we have to do at LBC about not saying anything that there isn't already evidence out there for not libeling anyone, not slandering anyone. You know, those rules do not exist on YouTube. So whilst, of course, you shouldn't accept everything that you read in a tabloid newspaper, there still is a basic assurance there um, that makes them in a weird way that not more reliable, but just a, a different kind of, of source. Um, on YouTube, people are just saying, you know, whatever. And um, I also have found that there is a whole swathe of influencers who create trust by pointing out the bias of the the tabloid media and they say you know look at this this is so obviously an agenda and you know like a a three-year-old could tell you that this article has an agenda but then what they do is they say and that's why you should trust me and then they go on to spout an absolute load of hokum (laughs) And and you go okay well just because somebody can see that the mainstream media has an agenda sometimes doesn't make them 100% trustworthy. Um, But I do think it's dangerous to trust no one as well. We have to have an agreed set of facts that that we all um, we we all agree are reliable. So I have suggested some websites. Full Fact, for example, um, is a really good fact checking website. You know, if you are uh, talking about health, it's not perfect, but the NHS would be a good place to start to kind of, you know, check you check through what it is that you're you're being told um always question but also not so much that, you know you know is that saying that if your mind's too open your brain will fall out <laughs> I, I had this recently where um it, there was uh, I was having a conversation on Twitter and someone said to me um can you prove to me that Brexit was bad and I said okay here's some statistics. And I I literally listed what we've lost in GDP versus what we stand to gain from joining another trading block and the cost of businesses and the cost of the the divorce bill. And, you know, I just listed all of these statistics. And they replied and said, "Um, it sounds to me like you are using leftist statistics. That's a very good example of somebody who it's, they just, you know, you could put anything in front of them. And yeah. they wouldn't they would never believe it because it doesn't match their their point of view. And I think that's just as dangerous as yeah. believing everything, if you see what and, I mean. And um, you've said that um, young people are kind of almost veering towards that, that where they don't believe anything they see online because they feel like everything is fake news. Yeah, I've seen a, a lot of that where and, and a lot of young people saying to me, I will entertain any idea, no matter how silly, because I think it's really important to 
listen to everything. And I don't agree with that. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, there are some things where you just, you have to go, nah, you're all right. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so Natasha, your book um, is um, such a brilliant guide for parents as well. I mean, to be honest, I have learned a bunch and also just been reminded of stuff that I already knew, but kind of forgotten because we're busy. Um, so I would absolutely recommend it to all parents of teenagers, but also that kind of eight to 12, you know, buy it, read it yourself and tuck it away for when they're a little bit older and then hand it over. Um, so it's clicks how to be your best self online and it's available to buy now but where can we find you online Natasha so that we can hear more from you my website is natashadevon.com you can find out about um, my campaigns and the other books that I've written and there's also a page on there called advice and support and there's about 20 different charities on there um, that offer confidential support and um, evidence-based information on mental health just for any parents listening who um are struggling because their their child is experiencing mental health issues. I always like to point out that young minds have a parent helpline. Um, so if your child is aged, I think it's between 12 and 25, you can call them and they'll give you some advice on how to, to manage um, that relationship. So, um, and you can find that on via my website. Um, in terms of socials, I'm only on two. I'm on Twitter, but I do not enjoy it. Um, I'm only on there I because think, I don't think anyone enjoys Twitter these days. <laughs> it's just people shouting in a bin. It's awful. Um, but I, I am nominally one day a week a journalist, so um, I kind of have to be on there. But the, the one that I would say I'm most active on is Instagram, and I'm underscore Natasha Devon on there. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me today, Natasha. It's been so great to chat to you. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.